Welcome to episode 95 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We start a lot of these episodes with a little vibe check with the Blue Jays, and I think it's a good time to do that again because through 25 games, this team at 16-9 and nine is uh, tied with the best record the Blue Jays have ever had. It's been done three other times, so it's not as rare as it might be, but this is the best start the Blue Jays have had from a record perspective. And so I just wanted to let that sit there for a second and kind of have you chime in on how that feels. Like, does this feel like a team that should be in the the running for these type of franchise records? I will say 16 and 9 is really good, but it's you kind of expect someone to have done better. So it's just a little bit odd that that record is good enough for this. But how do you feel about the 16 and 9 Toronto Blue Jays? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... It does feel like a really good team. It's I suspect that the other Blue Jays teams that have started as well, uh, probably not in third place in the division, which uh, which kind of mutes some of uh, what might be uh, celebratory vibes <laughs> regarding this start. But uh, in a vacuum, you know, looking just at the team and and looking at who they've played, I think is important too. Even though you know some of them have been bad, but uh, uh, did well against the Yankees, held their own against the Astros. That, that's good. The Mariners will be Mariners will be another test. Um, but yeah, it hasn't been. They haven't been playing the garbage teams that the Rays kind of started with, and you know the Orioles done okay too. And it's going to be a dogfight this entire division all year, I think. But uh, yeah, I think you're right to bring up the fact that this has been a good start for them, and to not lose perspective on that because um, you know as long as Barrios and Kikuchi keep pitching well, not even as well as they have in their last couple of turns, um, yeah, they have, they can they can do really really well, and I think they could do with well without that, but. Uh, that sort of puts them in another echelon, I think. Yeah, I mean, the rotation will have a lot to do with it. As you said, they've played some tougher teams. You know, they haven't had the Tampa Bay schedule, though, again, I think that it's easy to overstate that because Tampa mm-hmm. Bay has been sort of just ridiculous and you don't normally win that many games, kind of regardless of who you're playing. But, you know, Fancrafts has Toronto finishing right now at 91 and 71. That feels pretty light to me, to be honest. I think that this team, I know this team has kind of hovered in the low 90s for the last couple of years here. And coming into the season, I would have been a little bit, yeah, I think 91 would have felt okay to me, like maybe a tiny bit light, but I am more confident. And, you know, this is a 640 winning percentage so far. So it's not, of course, I feel a little bit more confident about this team now than I did prior to the season starting, but you know, the rotation is a big part of it. It does feel like more is going right for this team than is going wrong. And some of the things that are going right are are legitimately interesting longer term. Like Matt Chapman is not this guy because no one is, but there is sort of this tangible change in his mechanics and the way he's hitting the ball that make me feel a little bit differently about him than I do, you know, coming into the year. And, you know, Kikuchi and Barrios, like both those guys are doing better than I thought, you know, maybe not than I thought possible, but having both of them be kind of in the right side of their range of outcomes, it, it it's not the most overwhelming start, right? Like, they're, they have a plus yeah. 14 run differential. Like, they haven't been out here dominating teams other than the White Sox, who are just uh, trash and, you know, have totally wasted their window and all the good stuff you could say about the Chicago White Sox. Um, but... It's good. It's good. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's an A minus against a pretty high standard. Like they're exceeding expectations and the ex- expectations were pretty high. I, I think that's absolutely right. And and I have, you know, can go both ways on this. Like one, the run differential, I think 
you know, looks bad. I mean, well, just because that's volatile at that at this time of year, you know, naturally. But also, they had like four games where you know Tampa kind of spanked them at the end of that series. Uh, they lost by you know kind of crooked numbers to the Astros in two of those games, but one of them was like really tight until the end, and then it kind of went sideways on them, and you know probably didn't reflect what the the true nature of the game was. Uh, which is why, you know, looking at run differential at this time of year is a, a bit silly, unless something crazy is happening, like it's like Tampa. Um, but then the other way, the other way you can look at it is, you know, Jose Barrios has had, had had many fine starts last year, many fine outings where he did not look like a disaster. It's just they, the disaster ones happened very frequently. So we can't get too carried away about that, I don't think. And also Kikuchi had a really nice May. Like he kind of started weirdly in April, but then put it together. It looked like he had turned the corner and uh, and then the bottom dropped out. So, um, you know, you can, only, you can only assess what we can assess and what's happened so far. And it does feel good and it does feel like, you know, they're doing the kind of things, you know, they both have this, you know, Barisa stuff. And I think he wrote about this or at least tweeted about like how his stuff definitely looks like it's sort of taken a step forward, even though, you know, the whole thing last year was, you know, he's got really good stuff, but it's just, he's not commanding it well. Uh, you know, seeing 97s and, and you see him use that slurve all the time, I think is, uh, uh, and, and the slurve and the, the, the sinker or the two seam or whatever, he, whatever he calls it to sort of play off each other, I think is, uh, looks like it's it's working especially well, definitely compared to last year. Even if you know maybe if you broke it down and looked at the the horizontal vertical movements, they would not be necessarily different. Um, and Kikuchi, you know, Gosman said on the broadcast uh, during one of the games this week, you know, best stuff in the rotation or best stuff on the team. Uh, and you see that you see that when he's not, you know desperately trying not to hit a guy in the head right when he can actually like throw it near the zone and and feel confident and feel comfortable that you know that that he's not going to just be wasting pitch after pitch and falling behind and falling behind uh when he actually has a chance to use his stuff and not just you know hope to god that something's anywhere near the strike zone and can maybe get him out of whatever jam he's in uh you can see it you can see how good the stuff is and you know long may it continue but uh but you know as as always in this time of year um you know what is it's not even may yet so yeah lots can happen the distribution of these good outings you know Brios had some streaks kind of of a similar length to what he's having now where he looked almost as good as he's looking now and he's got this odd profile right like there was a piece at Fangraphs the day that we're recording this that was basically i forget the exact headline but it was to the effect of like Brios is either great or brutal depending on what number you're looking at and the the ERA is a 471, the FIP is a 233. Now, normally in the past, we used to kind of just say, okay, well, this guy is, uh, he's really incredible and he's just having bad luck and it's all going to come around. And now we have a few more tools to play with, at least when it comes to kind of public stats. And we know that they're, they're hitting them hard. Like, you know, they're not all the time. Like his average exit velocity is much better than it was in the past, but the people are still squaring up some balls against him. And he's got an expected ERA of 429, even though he's got the great strikeout rate and the great walk rate because of some of these hard hits that are coming against him. And then if you want to take it a step further, his left on base is 49%, which is, you know, that's a point in the, he's being super unlucky and weird category. So hey. How many times on this podcast or any podcast relating to the Blue Jays or baseball in general have people said, I'm confused about what I'm seeing from Jose Barrios, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it is very hard to know to make. I, I know to be encouraged compared to what we saw last year. Like, There's a lot you can pin your hopes to, especially in terms of that strikeout rate bouncing all the way back and him using that slurve extensively and being some kind of less 
uh, reluctant to just hammer his best pitch, but there's still a lot of weirdness going on. Like he is still a, a he remains a tough pitcher to parse, and he will be. Uh, you know, it's going to take another month, month and a half, I think, for us to get a handle on um, how confident we are with what his 2023 is. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. Um, because I attempted to parse him a little bit when I saw that Fangraphs article come out. Um, you know, even like the slurve thing, like that was down in his most recent outing, but his he was throwing way more changeups to right-handers, and that kind of those two pitches kind of were combined where his his slurve had been in the previous outing. So, uh, so he's doing different things for sure. And I I definitely, I mean, I tweeted about how if you look at just the last three starts, if you throw out the first two. I think apparently even if you throw out the first one, you know the the effect that they're talking about, where the 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 FIP and the ERA are are there's a two and a half run wedge between them. I think is how they put it. Uh, that really goes away, which you know you you know you you can't throw out those starts like they happened. But you know uh, I did the parsing because I'm like okay, what changed between uh, the first couple of starts and the the ones since the three since that that maybe can explain what has he been doing differently. Um, and uh couldn't really figure it out to be honest with you yeah that's <laughs> the, the, the two sumer maybe the, the use has kind of gone up there um but not even by a ton and not to different levels than last year but uh you know it, it could be and i kind of scoff at this it could be that confidence stuff it could just be execution it could be you know like something too subtle to be really picked up on in in uh you know looking at those fancy graphs on baseball savant uh where you can you know look at the pitch mix or whatever all, all the different uh uh, things you can just like sort of click through to try to see like, oh, here's where we can really see, you know, the the release point changed at some point, or which I think it has been sort of horizontally, at least, you know, where he is on the rubber has been changing a little bit from start to start, but like gradually. And and, and, and he did that not... a bunch last year too. Yeah. Right? Like he a... kept messing yeah. around with different things last year, which was part of what made him so hard to kind of drill down on. Yeah. So to to do the same thing that Fangraphs author did, I forget who wrote the piece, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a <laughs> giant shrug on that. Yeah, I, I think that, and I, I want to pose the question of like, which guy you're more encouraged by or have more confidence in going forward between Barrios and Kikuchi, because there, I think there are two sides to that argument, right? Like with Barrios, you can say the track record is still there. Things that happened a year and a half, two years ago still count, even though I think in a lot of people's minds they don't. And, you know, the strikeout to walk stuff is really, really encouraging. And that was a big part of the problem last year. But the hard hit stuff, uh, you know, endures. With Kikuchi, it's easier to say, okay, well, what we're seeing is so much better and so much more encouraging than last year that it's easier to say, okay, it seems like someone has flipped a switch here. It seems like... He's gotten over the mental hurdle that he's harnessing his stuff, like all the versions of the cliche. And I'm saying cliche, not in a way to say it's necessarily wrong, but it's just the kind of language we've heard with him over and over again. It's easy to take his sort of his last three outings and look at them saying, you know, this is the best he's done in three outings as a Blue Jay. And I, you know, I did a small piece kind of to this effect of like, this is the best he's ever looked as a Blue Jay, dot, dot, dot. That's not saying much. So his step forward from last year feels more clear and more significant, but he's also kind of never been a consistently effective MLB starter for more than kind of half a year at a time. So if you're picking one guy for the rest of the season, uh, and you know it isn't an either-or, right? Like the Blue Jays have both of them, and it, I would project them both to be solid enough for what they're going to be asked to do. But which one 
do you feel more confident in right now? Uh, you know, with my heart, I say Kikuchi, but with my head, I say Barrios. Uh, basically for the reasons that you say, like, like, yeah, Kikuchi looking better than he has as a Blue Jay has, that is not saying much. He wasn't great in Seattle. That was kind of the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing that made people kind of surprised the Blue Jays, you know, guaranteed him three years, um, because he, you know, they, it really was, you know, a rebuild kind of project. Like they're, they're going to try to mold him into something that he hadn't been before and take that great stuff and turn it into something. Um, and it, it certainly didn't work in the first year. Very encouraged by it. Uh, more encouraged by him probably at this point than than by Barrios, but like you say, because the the, the floor is so much lower, I think, and, and that that says a lot because Barrios was awful last year. But uh, one of the things when I was doing the parsing, uh, I was mentioning before, is looking at his you know percentile rankings, and you know they look not quite back to normal, but they look a lot more like they did in his years with the Twins and in 2021 with both teams. Uh, than they did than they did last year. Like last year, it was just like the deepest blue of uh, that you can imagine, like ones and twos across the board for like quality of contact. And he still does get hit hard, yes, but there's a lot more red on that page right now, and that's including those first two clunkers. Uh, and that does definitely, you know, that to have to have that, even though that's you know pretty abstract stuff and doesn't really say anything about, you know, his execution or, or, or anything except just the quality of the contact um, to have that look the way that it does and see and remember what it looked like, you know, when he signed and when it was so exciting, uh, even though those kind of numbers were middling for him uh, to be polite, I think, you know, there, there was, uh, that was one of the things that a red flag perhaps that I very gladly uh, overlooked and, and hand waved away when that happened because uh, it's like oh you look at the the ERA the innings you know all the consistency across the board uh, sure the hard hit stuff is is creeping up year after year after year and then sort of became an immense problem last year um, but I was easy it was easy to overlook I think at the time uh, and now to see him looking a little bit more like that guy where it's just you know it, it, it's like it's it's average it's red but it's like the, you know, above, slightly above average, uh, which is uh, which will be fine, you know. Um, and I, you know, he's just he has done it for so long before that I think that's what makes me more confident in him, even though I don't know that I actually am. <laughs> I I think I'd I probably would be. I mean, I don't know. I my sort of head to heart balance as a human <laughs> being, even kind of beyond the beyond baseball is the way it is. So I think that I'm probably even more bullish on the pro Barrio side of this debate. Uh, you know, part of it is sort of two things. One, with Kikuchi, it's weird to say this about a guy who strikes so many hitters out potentially when he's on, but the hard contact he gives up actually, even though he doesn't give up a, a ton of contact, the contact he gives up is so hard and it's always been so hard. And even when he's good, it's been hard that like I just worry about home runs with him. Like his home run, his career home run rate, like his home runs per nine is, you know, it floats around two. So if he ever kind of loses the handle and starts walking guys again, which, you know, is it can definitely happen. We, you know, yeah. we've seen it happen. Like the moment that happens, he can just get hurt so quickly. Uh, and where Barrios, he, his room for error, like you said, it's kind of increased because of the, the contact not being so bad 
but his whiff rate is uh his is but percentile wise his whiff percentage is like 80 plus this year and last year it was 15 percent 15th percentile so like as a difference that's just even over this amount of a season basically the first month of a season like that's just such a colossal difference at the thing that is most fundamental to being a good pitcher, which is making guys like, it's not the only way, you know, the Jays employ the Chris Bassett's of the world, Manoa, what makes him special is not the whiffs, but the most fundamental way to be a good pitcher is to miss bats. And that kind of difference from one year to, to another makes me really encouraged about where Barrios is going. Love to hear it because of course, <laughs> one of those guys is going to be around for six years and the other is not. So Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I one guy that I I would have to say is a, is a podcast favorite, perhaps even more so than Alec Manoa in the early days. Is the version? It's a it's a concept, maybe more than a human. The version of Danny <laughs> Jansen that we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, when healthy, being the caveat that always exists with him. But over the last few days, it has been fun to see that guy return now does that mean that he's going to have a 140 wrc plus for the rest of the season you know that would be a little bit difficult to project but he's been sort of pound for pound at bat for bat an elite power hitter for a couple of years when he's gotten the chance here and you know he had a dismal start to the year we know that there was some sickness that played into some of that just you know just stumbled out of the gate seemed to lose playing time to kirk early when he thought maybe that'd be more of a split and he hit that big pinch hit home run. He had the two home run day, mixed another double there in the last four games. It seems like we have Danny Bats back, which is a pretty exciting development for the Blue Jays. It really is. It's, a, it's an exciting development. I think you're right for this podcast, too. Because uh, how do you not love Danny Bats? Just yanking balls <laughs> over, the, over the left field wall. It's, uh, it's been remarkable, but he just he, he can do that. Uh, you know, it's that is in him, and it would be hilarious to see. You know, obviously his utility as a catcher will prevent this from happening uh, anytime soon. But like, you know, man, what what if he was a DH for a whole year and you know stayed healthy and and, and didn't have the wear and tear? What what would that actually look like? I'm I'm very curious. Uh, not curious enough to you know demand the Blue Jays find a third catcher and and give Jansen all these DH at bats, but uh but yeah when it works it works and as we've said over and over every time he comes up over the last you know couple of seasons like it when he's healthy it's mostly been working so um yeah let's uh let's keep riding that hot hand i love it yeah it it is very fun to watch in part because we know how hard baseball like you know it's it's often called a sport of failure guys who are really good at it only get on base 40% of the time and you know mike trout's always getting out uh, even though he's the best any of us have ever seen non-Bonds edition. And yet, when Jansen is going, this version of him, he makes the game look very easy. It's like, okay, here's a guy who's going to come up who has never been legendary for his power. Like, he looks like a pretty normal guy. I don't mean that in some kind of negative way, but he's not like some, you know, Giancarlo Stanton. He's not a behemoth. He's not absolutely shredded. Uh, he never really hit tons of home runs in the minors. That was never his thing. And he just was like, you know what? I'm just going to really yank high fly balls that are like 380 feet. And then there most parks that's <laughs> going to work. And it's like, why can't everyone else figure out? How? It just, it, it doesn't, again, I'm not trying to disparage Danny Jansen. 
um, because what he's done, what he's doing is incredible. But he just makes you think it's like, why can't other people figure out how to be Danny Jansen? Because he doesn't have these special characteristics that nobody else has. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 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 pretty wild. I mean, his last year. Uh, it was, I'm looking at it now, 473 slugging percentage in his final year, uh, with Buffalo before really full-time becoming a big leaguer, um, uh, which is good. You know, he was hitting for some power. He was not, you know, a, a complete, uh, you know, gap to gap guy necessarily, but also that's like 80 games, 12 home runs. Um, he had, uh, yeah, he, he could do that. He's had 12 home runs in what the last, uh, 50 games he's played. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to do the math in my head right now. I'm, I'm not going to look at my phone or I'll get distracted. But, uh, you know, he, his reputation was as a bat-first catcher, but it wasn't like a power-hitting bat-first catcher. It was, you know, doubles power. And, you know, maybe he'll grow into being a 20-home run guy. And like I said before, like, I'd be very curious to see him get, like, regular at-bats at a position where he doesn't, you know, <laughs> get, you know, hit on the thumb every, you know, every couple of weeks uh, by a, 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 you know, a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. Uh, and see what he could do because uh, it is it is really impressive and uh, you know perhaps you know it's still so new perhaps there's you know something in the swing to exploit the fact that he's really uh, become that pull happy guy but uh, you know Danny bats for a reason just that uh, that was that was Bautista's you know that was his where he lived just just yanking balls over that fence and uh, it's extremely funny to watch Danny Jansen with his goggles on uh, doing the same thing. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point about like a hypothetical scenario where you have the ability to move Jansen, who notoriously is like a half decent athlete who's who's had sprint speeds that have been decent at times over the years, and it's just a it's a culmination of factors, right? Like, firstly, the Blue Jays are good, so they have to kind of maximize exactly like they don't really have time to experiment with stuff like this, right? And, You'd have to be in Pittsburgh or something Yeah, exactly. Like that. That's exactly what came to mind. Like, well, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates are a pretty good team as we record this podcast. Right. But like yes. a, you know, the idea of the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Oakland Athletics or a team like that, where it's like, let's just find a place for this guy and this thing that he's doing that's pretty damn remarkable and let's just see if he can do it. And the Blue Jays don't have that luxury. And they have Alejandro Kirk, who's this, you know, slightly less conventional catcher who they feel a little bit concerned about the wear and tear on. And as a result, we get this, which is like part-time, a guy being incredible part-time. And we just don't quite know, you know, what, you know, I just, I, what I really want is to see 600 plate appearances of this in a row. And we just, and, and it <laughs> yeah. might crash and burn. Like, you know, that, that's absolutely in the realm of possibility, yeah. but yeah. that's what I really wish we could see. And it just, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just clearly not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, at least with the Blue Jays, at least in the in, for the foreseeable future, and I think that that's kind of unfortunate. Although we, I do think we're going to get some of these two catcher lineups, uh, which you know you could argue is their best lineup, you know, especially against left-handed hitters. That's something I'll be looking for going forward is just seeing how willing they are to do that with any kind of consistency. Because yeah, a lot of the time that's their best lineup is when Kirk getting on base, walking like twenty percent of the time. Uh, and Jansen hitting for immense power, like those are pretty complementary pieces to have in the same lineup. No, absolutely, and and you know they've shown a little bit already because I've been worried about you know whether you know how reluctant they're going to be to to put Varsho in a position where he might even have to catch. Like they're not going to put him behind the plate, I don't think, like unless it's an emergency situation. But we've seen a couple, you know, Kirk getting pinch hit for or pinch run for the other night. Um, 
or maybe that was last week. I don't. What the hell do I know? But uh, but it, it alleviated some fears that I had about the fact that they clearly, you know, from spring training forward, like he wasn't putting the gear on. He like Varsho was not going to catch. But the the fact that he's there and he's going to be in the lineup and he can catch, hopefully, does make them a little less reluctant to to use the two catcher thing because yeah, it's uh, it is it's wild. I mean, because Jansen is just so good as a catcher, you can't obviously let him have six hundred at bats. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, Sal Perez could uh, could get it done, right? You know? I mean, he, he can't uh, seem to stay healthy in a part-time role right now, so it's it's hard correct. to sort of wish cast him <laughs> yes. into being one of the most durable catchers in the game. That might be a, a step too far. Sure, but it's just, these are this is a rare this is a rare thing, a rare thought to have. Like, what what if we saw more of this guy uh, who could who you easily could do that too? But obviously, that will never happen. Um, yeah, and usually it's the usually it's the other way. Usually it's like I want to see less of this guy, especially with yeah catchers and hitting. Often <laughs> as little as you can see. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about the designated hitter spot here, and one of the reasons people like to dream on you know Jansen and Kurt getting these DH at bats is because alternatives, other than when you're resting Vladdy or Springer or whatever, have not been great. When you're talking about Brandon Belt, his overall season numbers are pretty bad. And yet, I think that, you know, a little bit quietly here, the two new hitters in the lineup, Belt and Varsho, are really uh, diving in different directions at the moment. So if we look kind of the last two weeks, this is since April 11th, Belt has hit 300, 364, 500 with like a reasonable strikeout and walk rate, sort of what you'd expect from him. And Dalton Varsho is uh, the old 124, 241, 200 with just two extra base hits. When you think of these two lefties who are kind of the guys meant to infuse a sense of balance into the lineup, are you more encouraged by this little mini belt resurgence or are you more worried by uh, the the eh, maybe more than little uh, Dalton Varsho fall-off we've seen recently? Uh, I'm probably... I mean, I'm not really super encouraged yet by belt, I must say. Uh, because while it has been better, the strike hits are still high, and he can get away with that. We've seen that in the past. Uh, what I don't like is his max ex- exit velocity, which I'm looking at right now. It's 19th percentile, which, uh, if you go back, he's not necessarily like a monster in that regard, but it was 70th percentile in 2021 when he was really at his best. Uh, he's, you know, it's still early, but... But there's been enough, well, geez, for him, I guess there hasn't been that, <laughs> that many balls in play. Yeah, there's been a lot of swing and miss. Uh, but I'd like to see that come up before. Like, I understand that because of the, the really, really rough start, and you know, that, that some of the other quality of contact numbers aren't going to be there. And I think that's sort of the case for Varsho, I think, at the moment, too. But his max exit velocity, you know, that first that first game, that first hit was uh, the hardest of his career. I think he's still 91, 91st percentile. I don't know if he's hit anything nearly that hard since. Um but but you know that does that does say something at this time of year when those numbers can still be completely you know the, a lot of noise in that signal right so but the the max exit velocity is kind of tangible it means what it, it means what it means and you know you have you have enough balls in play you should you should be hitting one pretty hard and to be that low for the DH power hitting guy that you're you're like wow the, with the fences where they are maybe you can hit forty bombs. Um, Still a little disappointing on that end, I would say. Uh, which isn't to say Varsho isn't sort of concerning, but also I think just the fact that we can flip them. If you're, uh, you know, if we'd have been having this conversation about the two of them, you know, a week ago or a week and a half ago, it would have been like, wow, Belt's awful, Varsho's incredible. Uh, 
and you know these numbers can just swing so easily danny i, I pointed this out in my mailbag and on twitter the other day like danny jansen uh you know well not not only went from from like one home run to three which is uh you know uh quite a quite a, a large jump you know percentage wise uh you know the batting average just after that one game the batting average the way to run script all, all of it like jumped in in an incredible way because which is just a, a huge reminder of how early it still is especially when we're talking about the guys who aren't really in there every day who are uh, come in and out of the line of getting part-time at bats you know i mean like they're they're still under 100 plate appearances i think those guys all three of them or maybe varsha's over at this point but but um you know it, it's just it's too soon to, to get worried about anything but i'm i'm happy for for belt at least that it, that it's looked better though i'd like to see the, the max exit velocity move up a bit yeah i need to see a fair bit more from belt like i think even just kind of watching him like he, he looks yeah. pretty unimpressive at this point I, again i you know we talked before like if early in the year like if he's as bad as he's he had been in the first couple of weeks is like we you know they they really gotta cut bait because it's he's just not happening i think what he's done is you know maybe bought himself a little bit more time to demonstrate that you know maybe this was a physical thing maybe it was a not having enough spring training whatever you want to call it like maybe it's just you know, he's doing the Frank Thomas warm up for a That's month. Exactly the name. I was just literally like <laughs> typing in my phone, looking, wanting to look up Frank Thomas's numbers in his final year with the Jays, which I know wasn't. They didn't cut bait necessarily for performance reasons, but yeah. So, but that was that name came very quickly to mind. So as well. maybe, like, maybe that's what's happening here. As you said, he's never been sort of a max exit velocity superstar. Uh, fun fact is average exit velocity this year is actually better than his career average uh, or he's had any year except for one but again he's just not put enough balls in play like he just needs to cut down on the strikeouts to really kind of prove himself viable in a role where he's offense only Varsho so yeah I just think that's just a wait and see situation Varsho is I don't know he's it's a little bit interesting to me because um, you know, I, I just know these numbers because I did a piece on him today. Like over the last 17 games, he has an average exit velocity of 80.8 miles per hour. Like that's really bad. Like, and it's, you know, 17 games isn't a ton, but it's also not nothing. You know what I mean? It's not a series. It's not yeah. a week. Like we're talking, uh, you know, a decent chunk of a month here. And for, you know, just a little bit of re- frame of reference on that, the worst qualified hitter, and I don't remember who that is off the top of my head, is 83.4 miles per hour this season. So he's just having this run. He's, his contact rate is actually decent. His strikeout rate by his standards during this little stretch has been fine. Like he's not, the, let me put it this way. The version of a Varshaw slump I would expect to see is him just hacking away and striking out 38% of the time and popping the old the odd home run but it doesn't matter and this is a different version of a Varsho slump where he's actually putting the ball in play but everything is you know dribbling ground balls and pop-ups and it, it's very unimpressive you know we're very early in the whole Varsho experience I don't think anyone should be burying him it's it's interesting because just the order of events is important, right? Like if he had gotten off to this start and then had sort of the first eight games that he had had or whatever it is, then I think people would be really, you know, I think you'd have some dumb think pieces about the Blue Jays already losing <laughs> that trade and all that jazz. Uh, I don't know how Gurriel's doing in Arizona. I know that uh, Moreno is the leader in Fangraphs, or not Fangraphs, StatCast's new 
caught stealing runs catcher metric. So maybe that would be quoted in such a think piece. Uh, that hasn't happened because Varsho got off to this nice start and he bought himself some grace. But uh, it is a it's a it's a dicey little stretch he's put together. That's for sure, and in a way that I wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think so. I think it's not helping him, and I don't know if they'll have to do something about it. I mean, I, I think I, I wrote this this week as well, but like, you know, Brandon Belt, and we talked about him all winter. Like, that's the guy they would, I think, have hoped to be the number four hitter and the guy to break up the righties in the lineup. Uh, and so Varsho's not only just been thrust into that spot, it's, he's really kind of lingered there because they clearly really do want to to break up the right-handed hitters. And it's just, it just, it, it puts more of a spotlight on him, not just hitting fourth, but hitting ahead of Matt Chapman, who is like the best player in baseball this this month, uh, in a way that 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 kind of sucks. And it would be very much nicer uh, if there was a way to uh, uh, to get what they wanted in terms of of uh, you know the lineup balance, uh, while also having him not in such a high profile spot. Because you know it just it it, it hasn't happened a ton, but it does stink to be like. All right, all right. One of two of two of uh, Springer, Bow, and Vlad gone on base. Uh, oh, right, and now Varsha's up, and you have to wait through an out or whatever happens here, presumably an out, uh, before you actually get to the guy you want to see hit, which is Chapman. Yeah, it's you know I think in a perfect world, Varsha is like a six-seven guy who you who you kind of expect to be average, and you hope for more. I think you know I think they they see him as an above-average hitter. Like a lot of the way. I interpret how the Blue Jays see Ch- uh, Varsho is just what they traded for him, right? Like they sure. they cashed their big chip. They traded a guy that they could get someone pretty damn significant for, and they went with maybe a bit of a longer term piece. But they see him as a guy who's going to be an above average hitter. They see him as a guy whose struggles against lefties, in at least in their eyes, have been overstated. Or else you don't make this move. Like you know, you don't make the move for a platoon outfielder. You don't make a move for a guy who is you know. Uh, you know, a worse version of Colby Rasmus or whatever the the what he's been called in the past. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's not the hope. But he, I'm sure he'll he has times when he's going to look like that. And right now, that's what he looks like. And like you said, we haven't seen a maybe. I don't know. Like, let's say this continues for a week. Maybe you can make the case. Okay, let's bring Belt up. Let's reward him for hitting well right now, and let's give him that role for a bit. And we'll put Varsho down, and maybe. I don't know if that's going to legitimately help, but maybe it could. <laughs> I still don't want to see Belt in front of hitting ahead of Chapman at this point. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if he's red hot for a week, maybe. But it, it's weird because they've really emphasized this balance. Like, the Blue Jays are a team that is probably too good to be contemplating, like, oh, this guy who looked absolutely washed two weeks ago has uh, been good for a couple games. Let's throw him in the cleanup hole. Like, you'd think yeah. <laughs> the Jays are a better team than that, but, like, weirdly, they're – they're kind of not, even though the lineup as a whole is good and the cat catcher role is good. You know, when you have both those guys in, uh, it can look like a very good lineup, but it also looks like a lineup that's really fiddling around with these lefties. And you know, if Belt, uh, you know, if Belt can't really get on track, which is perhaps even the most likely outcome, at a come trade deadline time, like I think you do have to think about: is there a left-handed bat out there again who's capable? of making a difference for this team in the trade market because right now you're not you're not getting what you hoped from the left-handed bats that's for sure yeah yeah that's true all right before we get out of here let's uh let's tee up the weekend series a little bit because it is uh one that maybe feels a little bit more significant than most maybe a little bit more traumatic than most depending on whether fans uh were in attendance 
for the Mariners uh, playoff win over the Blue Jays last year, the you know the eight one disaster. They are back at Rogers Center. Um, you know, you got Teoscar Hernandez coming back here. I, you know, he's not going to get anything but cheers and joy. And, you know, I think he's pretty damn popular. There are people who are frustrated with him, but I don't know. Generally speaking, people are, are going to be happy to see Teoscar, especially he's not really hidden great right now. He's got like a 227, 264, 443. And that's, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, that's kind of what you hope to see him do for another team. Just be the low on base lots of power but maybe not enough guy and that's you know that's what they've been and swanson's been great so i think you know the blue jays with him coming in have to feel pretty good about the very 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 early stages of that trade although with teoscar under contract for just one year like that you know that trade gets late early from a seattle perspective yeah that's absolutely true no it will be a very interesting i mean i can't believe you brought up that stupid (laughs) game which was what a nightmare um Oh God! <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it should be uh, it should be very interesting this weekend. Obviously, um, and the Mariners are a team that that you know now with the schedule one step towards the balance, uh, you know balanced, uh, you know not not anywhere close to fully balanced, but but with the the AL East teams not being able to beat up on each other as much and more games being against teams from other divisions. Um, I mean that does maybe hurt the Mariners because they have to play they get to play the A's less, but uh, but you know this is still a team that even though they haven't really started you know great out of the gate should be there in the end and should be a team that you know the Jays are going to be battling for a wild card spot should they not uh, win the American League East so so these are important games too right like and it, it is you know it is the the hopefully exercising of the demons of last October um, the thing about Tay Oscar obviously we we won't see Robbie Ray. Which, uh, which is another another deal that the Jays kind of probably feel good about, uh, vis-a-vis the Mariners, uh, because they it seemed as though they really uh, could have chosen between Ray and Gosman and, and chose Kevin Gosman, which now with Robbie Ray. Or did Robbie Ray year. make that choice vis-a-vis vaccination decisions? <laughs> that that could have absolutely been the case as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's a there there are a lot of storylines here, and also you know it is it's a. It's weird because they're about as far as two teams could be apart from each other geographically, but because of you know all the Canadian fans that come down in Seattle, uh, because of those playoffs, because they're battling for wild cards, because Tay Oscar, because Robbie Ray, uh, there's some really interesting storylines and like a, a neat little cross continent rivalry there, uh, which should make it fun too. And it also looks like we're gonna get a Luis Castillo Alec Manoa game. Which, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you might, uh, you know, that that felt a little bit uh, more epic, perhaps, in uh, a couple months ago than it feels now. Again, you know, we've talked about Manoa. It's 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 early to bury him, but you also want to see, you know, you just want to see sort of the quality of the pitches. And he had a bounce back from a velocity standpoint in his last start. But man, you know, Castillo is uh, he's dealing for for the Mariners like ever since he's joined the Mariners he's been fantastic and I know that he's someone that the Jays uh faithful kind of dreamed on a little bit as a potential ad at times over the last few years um and you know the Mariners were the ones to take the plunge and you you know he's got a 152 ERA and a 165 FIP right now so uh, I feel like they are they're feeling pretty good about that decision to bring Luis Castillo aboard yeah, well, why get Luis Castillo when you can trade Nick Frasso for Mitch White? 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 Manoa looks better. I think that'll be good. That'll be an interesting game. I think Manoa is maybe uh, the one person outside of Seattle who benefited from that disaster in game two because we didn't talk a whole lot about how bad he was in that in that first game, uh, which wasn't awful bad, but... It wasn't great. I mean, it's funny because yeah. people... I, again, I that that's one performance. I don't really care. I don't really put a ton of stock into it. But there was just this assumption about Manoa just based on kind of his personality and the way he presented himself to the world. Like everyone was on board with yeah. the idea of like, Manoa's a great big game pitcher. And it's like, based on what exactly? Like <laughs> he's never, you yeah. know, he's never done this before. He's never pitched in the playoffs before. <laughs> Pitching in Morgantown yeah, like, in College. Like, I don't know if that counts. Yeah, yeah, he had some great, uh, for West Virginia, he's had some great outings, and uh, he's <laughs> pitched well at Yankee Stadium. Again, like, I don't know how much I want to believe in sort of the idea of a big game pitcher, and, like, I've been exhausted by narratives around guys but like Clayton Kershaw and David Price over the years, but everybody was on board with the idea that Alec Manoa was a big game pitcher, and then he, he's only pitched one big game at this level, and it really didn't go well. Uh, you could call opening day a big game. You could call the Jays the home opener a big game. You you could. <laughs> to I mean, me, it's, to me, that's it's not. <laughs> that's three times he's kind of shrunk from the. Oh moment. well, yeah. If you really add it up like that, you know, his uh, his resume is getting pretty bad. Maybe he is the next David yeah. Price. <laughs> you know what? I think I would take that career for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think he would take that career too. I don't know what the what the earnings on that. If I ha- haven't pulled that up, but. Manoa hasn't had his money yet, and uh, if he got David Price like money, I think he'd be pretty happy with that outcome. Yeah, nine, nine figures starting with a two. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, not bad. Not bad if he can swing it. Uh, even if you have to have a couple fan bases uh, hate you irrationally, which you know, I mean, <laughs> he's also doing that himself in his own way um, by antagonizing Red Sox, etc. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We will leave you guys here at the conclusion of episode 95 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We appreciate you guys tuning in, leaving reviews, leaving ratings, doing all that kind of stuff that is uh, supposed to make the wheels of the internet turn. And we will be back with you uh, next Thursday because that's how we're doing the schedule these days.